please take your Bibles tonight to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Now you are about to make a decision within the next five minutes of this sermon as to whether or not, or let me say it this way, as to how focused you are going to be. You face it every time someone gets up to preach it. That sounded weird. (laughs) You face it every single time someone gets up to preach. You have an option to think about what's going on outside these walls, whether it be a sporting event, whether it be uh, what's going on in your life, whether you're going to be busy tomorrow at work, what you're going to do after the service. I mean, you face decisions. Let me encourage you, when you face this one tonight, please just decide to try giving your undivided attention. You see, see, there are a lot of sermons that I would call ripping sermons. I'm talking about the ones where a preacher, and I like these. In fact, I'd say out of all the sermons, these are the type that speak the most to me. When somebody just gets up and tells me how rotten I am, how down, dirty, and filthy I am, and the Lord speaks to me most effectively through those sermons. But to be honest, not everybody appreciates those sermons. And that's not wrong to not love somebody telling you how wrong you are. It's If he's preaching the Word of God unfiltered, then that's good. But every once in a while, a preacher's job is to edify. Not necessarily tear someone down or cut their feet out from under them, but to build them up through the Word of God. And one thing that I'm beginning to notice is Christians in, in general and as a whole, we do not value ourselves near enough. Now, I'm sure you are drawing Scripture passages in your mind. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, the wages of sin is death. Uh, The Bible goes on to tell us, for there is none that are righteous. There are none that uh, do good. There are none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They've together become unprofitable. And I know the Bible says those things, and that's the doctrine of uh, sinful man. But I will say, however, if you study God and you study his character, when he created man, he looked down on it and said, now that's good. Now, we obviously messed up that. We maybe have marred what God's original plan was with our sin. But I still believe God values you. So let me encourage you this way. Don't sell yourself so cheap. Sin is a cheap thing. It does not care for you and it does not desire to help you in any way. It's trying to tear you down to make you a shell of the man or the woman that you are. It's trying to tear apart the inner core of who you are. It's trying to remove any power that Christ may be able to interject into your life. So don't sell yourself so cheap. I want to talk to you tonight, probably from one of my favorite Bible passages, Psalm 139. And if you uh, are not super familiar with the passage, I would encourage you, to mark it in your mind, and even if you desire, mark it in your Bible, the importance of so many doctrines in this passage. We'll begin reading in verse number 1, and we'll read all the way down through verse 24, the entire chapter. And I would ask you that if you do decide to focus in on this sermon, you be more intently focused on the next five minutes of Bible reading than you are at any other point in the sermon. 
because I've tried combining a bunch of things and verses and cross-references and illustrations that might help you, but at the end of the day, God never promises to bless those. But His Word will never return void. And so, Psalm 139, verse number 1, the Bible says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid Thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me, Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, tonight we come to you and we ask for your blessing on this message. Lord, I pray that the word of God would be effective tonight, and it would move in our hearts so that we might move. I pray that we would not be content with undervaluing who we are and what you've made in our lives. Father, I pray tonight that you would reveal some truth, some new knowledge to someone, not Not as if we're trying to discover new truths, but Lord, I pray that your word would become afresh and anew to us as we study this word. Lord, I pray that you would please be with me. Lord, I pray that there would be no selfish vendettas or motives that I would have, but Lord, I just want to help people, and Lord, I believe you're leading me to do that. So with your blessing, Lord, I will preach tonight, and Lord, I pray that people would open up their heart and not tune me out at any point in the message, and I pray this in Jesus' precious name, amen. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes we may not look into the mirror and see it, 
But to God, you are a very special person. He loves you. And he screamed as much as if he were on the cross dying himself. He sent the very best he had to redeem what sometimes we do not consider worthy of it. But he considered us worthy of it. It's an amazing thing how God would value us. Uh, It's amazing that he would care at all for us. But, my friend, he does. One day a little girl... Uh, had her mother's birthday approaching, and she didn't have much money to speak of, and so she began to think about what she was going to get her mother as her birthday was coming. She approached her father in desperation, thinking of what she was going to get for her mother. And she came up with the idea of getting a card for her mom. The father thought that was a tremendous idea. He said, darling, I'll do whatever I need to. I'll I'll help you. I'll, I'll do whatever I can to make sure that your card is perfect for mommy. Dad said, well, do you want me to go to the computer and, and turn it on so that you can design the card on the computer? The little girl said, Dad, I've noticed that if I do it on the computer, it doesn't stay on the refrigerator quite as long. You know, there's just something special about the works of your hands. Something special about you take your time and you really put an emphasis and importance on something. And then as a result of the effort that, and the labor that you put into it, it becomes special to not only you but to other people. I've seen some of the most beautiful sights in the outdoors that someone could ever see. I've seen the beauty of a turkey. And you may think that's a strange thing, but I'm not talking about the white lifeless turkeys that are stacked by the thousands in a small square-footed room. I'm talking about a wild turkey. They're brilliantly beautiful. They look dark from a distance, and the hens usually are. But there's something magnificent about a gobbler, a male turkey. You may say this sounds ridiculous. No, stay with me. They come in, and usually I'm sitting under a tree with a camera and a gun, and I use them in a certain order that may offend some people. (laughs) But I'm sitting there, and to be honest with you, I don't even enjoy killing them because I think they are such magnificent creatures. And usually I'm trying to depict as if I was a hen, and I make my calls, and I say, (coughs) and that turkey says, that's how you do it. (coughs) That's, That's exactly how you do it. And I love watching these gobblers come in. And and, and what's so beautiful about it is at the first time they see what my decoy, my hen decoy, you know what they do? They do this thing called strutting. It is where they puff themselves out. Very similar to how guys court women. You're at the bowling alley. Yeah, she's a looker. Hey, baby. (laughs) What's up? No, no, my, my chest usually sticks out like this. Yeah, yeah. And these turkeys come in, and, and I, I enjoy hunting them on a sunny day because while they look black, when they get out in an open field and they're, they're strutting, puffed out, big, their heads are a, just the most vibrant, bright red, white, and blue. Did you know that the wild turkey was about this close from being named our national bird? Until... Some lunatic thought an eagle was more intimidating. (laughs) 
No, that was a good decision, actually. But their heads are a combination, and each turkey is unique in the fact that one head may have more red, another head may have more white, but they're all unique in the fact that they're red, white, and blue, and they're gorgeous. But that's not the most amazing part. While they look black, when they get out and they start strutting, the sun strikes them in a certain way, and their feathers glow neon green, orange, and blue. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's very similar to the way a peacock looks. Maybe not to that quite, quite to that extent, but a turkey glows. Uh, it just shines. And you, if you've ever gotten close to one, you may have seen it. It's a beautiful, breathtaking blue, green. It's something that some people will never get to see, but I tell you, it's magnificent. I've seen in the Rocky Mountains what I consider the most majestic animal in North America, a, a, a Rocky Mountain elk. You may say, that sounds kind of silly. Well, you'll think they're pretty majestic too when they almost trample you and Dad's asleep with a weapon over here. You say, Dad, 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 they're running at us. So uh, <laughs> you, you will be enamored by their size. They're about 1,000 pounds, some a little over. I remember one specific morning we were tracking this, this one elk to take a picture of him. A.D. You know what A.D. is? After death. And, and we were looking, we were trying to find this one elk. He was gorgeous. There was a herd of elk around him, and he was tracking this cow. He was right behind her. It was a cold morning, one of those cold, crisp mornings, and you could... You can hear these elk for, for miles and miles away. And I've done the elk sound before. I won't do it again. But they scream like a little junior high boy at youth camp. That's how they sound. They, they scream like, like that. And, and it's amazing to hear their sound. But what I found most amazing was as this elk with about 350 inches of antler on top of his head. I'm talking about if you were to stand behind these antlers, they would be taller than you. These huge antlers on his head... And he's running after this female, very similar to how guys court women, actually. <laughs> no, 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 don't run away. <laughs> no. <laughs> and so uh, uh, it was amazing to see. But what I found the most beautiful is their, their coats are uh, a gold uh, from the neck, or I say the shoulder line back. They are a, a vibrant gold. And their, their neck, they have a mane, very similar to a tiger. But it's dark, rich, deep brown. And so you have this brown neck and, and, and head, and then you have this gold body, and he's running out there with all this antler, and every step he takes, you can see the, the vapor coming from his mouth. The <gasps> Very similar to the way men court women, actually. It was so marvelous seeing that huge animal run throughout the woods, trailing those cows. It was something uh, beautiful. You know, I've seen some pretty amazing sights in the outdoors. I've seen literally tens of thousands of waterfowl within a hundred yards of me. There were so many waterfowl that when they moved, it sounded like thunder because they were making so much noise. That was not even the most amazing thing, though. The most amazing thing is when they took off, they, the, the earth shook because there were so many of them. 
You know, I've seen some very amazing things in the outdoors, but you know what God thinks? You are His most impressive creation. You're something special to Him. And while I don't understand all the theology to it, God values you. I want to take a look tonight at Psalm 139. Please bear with me. Focus in on what the Word of God has tonight. Psalm 139, I want you to notice in the first six verses, an intimate familiarity. The Bible says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid Thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. You know, there's probably nobody in this world that knows you better than you. You know yourself. You know your desires. You know things about yourself that you would not tell even the most personal and close friend. You know things about yourself that you'd probably even be ashamed about if other people knew. There's no one in this world that knows you better than you. But you notice I said in this world. Because God, the creator of the universe, God, your own personal creator, you know what he does? He knows you even better than you know you. You know how I know that is because the Bible says, Thou understandest my thought afar off. In other words, he knows what you're going to think even when you haven't thought it yet. God knows you so personally, so practically, so powerfully. He knows you intimately. What an amazing thing. The Bible says in Job chapter 31, after Job's friends had condemned him and said, Job, surely this affliction is brought upon you for some uh, uh, sin in your own life. And so Job, being a wise man, understood the counsel of his friends, and he did not think that he had his own, he did not think that there was anything wrong in his own life. But Job chapter 31, he goes on and says, If I have hurt anyone, if I have offended anything, God, if I've done something that you're not pleased with, God, if there's anything, and in that chapter he says, Doth not he see my ways and count all my steps? Now, a lot of preachers sit there and they'll, they'll make us feel bad as if it's a bad thing that God knows everything we think and everything we do. It's a bad thing if every word in your mouth is wrong. It's a bad thing if everything that you think is wicked. But you know when it becomes a good thing? God knows you when you don't have to publicize the fact that you're doing something for Him. God sees you in the dark corner when you hand a little money to someone you know struggling. God sees you when you decide to give a tract to that co-worker and you don't have to come to church and say, Well, Brother Andrew, would you please pray for my co-worker? I decided for the first time in seven years that I've been working with him to give him a tract. I say, Man, it's a good thing he didn't die in those seven years. You see, you don't have to brag about when you do something good because the Bible says the eyes of the Lord roam through, to and fro throughout the earth beholding the evil. Oh, sure, he sees when you do something wrong, but I'm here today to tell you he sees when you do something good. And God knows you so very intimately. He knows you better than you know yourself. 
I heard someone say this week, it is not my actions that define me. I am not what I have done. Well, that's good, but I will say you are judged based upon what you do. People decide what your character, they decide who you are as a person, they decide how much uh, integrity you have because of what you do. But did you know God knows the intentions of your heart? The Bible says in Luke chapter 12, but even the very heads of your hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are more value than many sparrows. I can't I, I just wonder how how special it is for God to even know how many hairs are on my head. How many of you even care how many hairs are on some of you older folks are like, well, it's getting low. I am starting to worry. I'd like to know if I'm on the decline still. I don't really care how much hair I have. I, I don't look good with hair. I might as well try it without hair. That's the way I feel about it. So I'm not too worried about the hair on my head, but I will say this. God cares so much about you that things you don't even care to know about yourself, He knows and He's concerned with. Friend, it's an amazing thing that we have this intimate familiarity with our God, and He shares that with us. Jeremiah 9, chapter 24, gives us permission to be a little prideful. You say, what do you mean? Well, it gives us permission to gloat about something, to take a little pride and a little glory. Yeah, the pride's wrong. Yeah, I understand. And, and selfishness is not of Christ or godly. But I will say that in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24, the Bible says, But let him that glorieth glory in this. So it's giving us permission to glory. We can glory in something. Oh, just before this it says, Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. In other words, don't glory in your talents or your wealth or, or things that you have, but glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. See, God says, oh, you want to be prideful about something? You want to have just a little bit of uh, 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 happiness about something? You get happy about this. The God of all the universe, the creator, the sustainer. If God wasn't alive, if God did not exist, you know where the earth would be? It'd be floating off in outer space somewhere. But the word of God upholds the orbit of the earth. The word of God keeps us in orbit. The word of God keeps our oxygen flowing. The word of God upholds us. And because of that, man, my friend, he's got a lot of stuff to worry about. All the birds, all the bees. He's got all that to worry about. But at the end of the day, you know what he's more concerned with? You. You. My friend, God values you and he loves you. An intimate familiarity. I want you to notice, secondly, an inescapable following. An inescapable following. Look in verse number 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Like I said earlier, a lot of people would almost shame us for, knowing, for, 
the fact that God knows everything about us and God knows where we go and he follows us. And, and, well, he doesn't really follow us. He, he doesn't really have to walk or go anywhere to track us down. He's kind of already there when we get there. And so uh, uh, God is everywhere. And over the years, I've heard countless times and countless preachers preach, Oh, God knows where your feet lead you. It's almost a tactic to shame us. But you know, if God is where I am going, you know what that means? He's already been there. I wonder if that's why the psalmist said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff will comfort me and guide me. You see, it's a very important thing that God is already where you're going. It's a very blessed thing that God has already been where you're headed. You know why? It's because one day you're going to come to the point where things are not going well. You're going to get to the point where the tears won't stop flowing. It's going to come a day in every Christian's life, and I don't care who you are, you're not exempt from it. Pain will strike you right between the eyes. But take comfort in this. If you make your bed in the very belly of hell, God will be with you. The book of Hebrews said, God hath promised he will never leave me nor forsake me. Oh, sure, you go to the bar, you're taking God somewhere where he probably doesn't want to be. Oh, sure, you go uh, somewhere of ill repute. Sure, you're taking God somewhere where you, you, where he, you ought not take him. But at the end of the day, I remember when I was sitting by the bed of my wife and that doctor looked at me and told me that my daughter was going to die. You know the only comfort that I had? was that God was sitting in the chair with me. And you're going to face something, Christian, that will hurt you and strike you deeper than anything has ever cut you before. And you may say, oh, I, I, I probably won't face anything like that. You can think that all you want, but Christian, we are going to face torment in this life. This is not our home. We're just passing through. I promise you, pain is on the horizon for you. But my friend, God will be there when you get there. Oh, he's always with you. It's amazing that there is an inescapable following. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. The Bible says, He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. My friend, at the end of the day, when I call the police at 2 in the morning... They may say, well, we don't have quite as much manpower right now because it's a graveyard shift. And that's fine with me. They're probably uh, uh, trying to catch somebody in a 20-mile-an-hour speed zone. My friend, God never sleeps. And I love how our passage here in Psalm 139 says, Lord, when I wake up, you're already there with me. Some, one day, something's going to happen in your life. But the beautiful solace that we have as Christians is that God will be there when you get there. I want you to notice thirdly, an intricate formation. Verse 13, an intricate formation. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. You want to know the reason why I'll go to my grave saying that a baby is born at conception? You want to know why the reason that I will die telling someone that that little baby in your womb, although you may have not seen that baby, 
although you may have not seen it on a sonogram, maybe it's so faint that you couldn't even see it, it would just look like a little peanut. You want to know the reason why I think that that baby's alive? No, 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 let me say that better. You want to know the reason I know that baby's alive? You want to know the reason I know that if you do take that baby's life, it'll end up in heaven one day? You want to know how I know that? Because the Bible says, Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What a statement. This is how I picture this. And you can picture it however you want to. You can take liberty with the Word of God. And so as much as you're not getting outside the scope of the Word of God. But this is how I picture it. And I understand it's not perfect. But I picture God the Father sitting down at a table. And I understand. Bear with me. I know he's, he's a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. I understand he doesn't have physical hands. I understand he doesn't have physical feet. But for my elementary mind, this helps me. God the Father seated at a table with me and parts of me. And he takes this part and puts it in. And he takes this part and puts it in. But while he does it, he is taking great care and great concern about every place that the part goes. He can't mess up, and I know God couldn't mess up, but you understand the Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I find no other place in Scripture where the Bible says God fears anything. And yet when he created you, He took very much precaution as to how he formed you. The Bible says that God even knew you when you were unperfect or uncompletely formed. The other day I got to see my my son. I hope it's it's a son. I got to see my son on that sonogram and they said, there he is. And he kind of looked like I threw some jello against the wall. You know, there just wasn't much to him. I said, oh, what a cute baby. And then he's like, oh. Cute, but I was lying. He just looked like a blob of jello to me. And they start out the size of like a, I don't know, small, I guess, but like Amy's telling me each week, oh, he's the size of a peanut right now. He's the size of a, a peach right now. And all these things. But, you know, when, when, when that baby was first conceived and that baby began to mature very much in its infancy, it didn't have all the hands and all the feet and all the legs. But the Bible says right here in Psalm 139, verse 15, My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance. In other words, God could already see you. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in, the book, in thy book, all my members were written. It was as if I already had hands. And it was as if I already had feet. And it was as if I already had my nose. It's as if I was perfectly formed. Yet, I did not have those because the Bible says, which were in continuance, were fashioned. Oh, my friend, when as yet, there was none of them. God took so much time, so much concern when he made you. That even when you looked like a blob of jello, he could see what you would one day become. And it was as if you were already what you were before you were anything at all. God cares about you. God took time on you. Don't undervalue yourself. I sat across the table from a teenager yesterday, and that teenager feels 
insecure. She doesn't feel worthy. She feels like she's uh, not worth living. She feels depressed. She feels uh, 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 saddened. She doesn't feel like she meets the status quo. My friend, I looked right across the table at her, and I said, God thought enough of you to send his only begotten son. So you can sit there and think that you're not worth a bucket of dirt. But my friend, God took time when he made you. God took time when he saved you. God loves you. Oh, we have such a wonderful creator. And I'm so glad he wasn't just our creator. Because creators can throw things away. But he was our salvation. He was our Messiah. I'm so thankful for that. An intricate formation. I want you to notice finally... We're almost done. An infinite favor. An infinite favor. You may ask why I'm preaching so fast. Well, because my iPad just told me I only have 10% of battery left. So if I just cut her off, you know why. The final point of my sermon tonight is an infinite favor. Look in verse 17 and verse 18. How precious also... Are thy thoughts unto me, O God? How great is the sum of them? If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord? that hate thee, and not I greed with those that rise up against me. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I want you to notice that the Bible says that in verses 17 and 18, that God is constantly thinking of you. Let's just be honest with ourselves tonight. Tomorrow you're probably going to go to work, or you're going to do something tomorrow, whether it's just stay at the house and watch General Hospital. And I tell you, we were at, I forget where we were eating the other day, and that show was on, and I was just taken back at how strange the acting was on that. Now, maybe you're a huge fan, but I thought that the star of the show made the same face the entire time. And he would speak, and then he'd start making this face again. I just didn't understand it. And I was actually getting angry sitting there eating my lunch. Like, why is this guy making the same face? He gets paid to act? I was making him mad. So you may just stay home tomorrow uh, uh, watching General Hospital. I don't know, maybe some will of fortune, whatever you do tomorrow. But if we were very honest with one another... We're going to be busy or we're going to have things on our mind. And there will come a time in the day when you're not thinking about God. For some of us, it's quite early in the day. As we begin to think, well, what am I going to eat for breakfast? Am I going to grab a Pop-Tart? Is my wife going to be a good enough wife to get up and make me a breakfast sandwich? But, but whatever. I mean, if she loves the Lord, she would. But whatever. It's not a big deal. And you're going to be faced with a lot of challenges, a, a, a lot of dilemmas. The, the boss is going to come to you and say, hey, I wanted to uh, see if you wouldn't mind. Uh, I, I was wanting to promote you. And you say, promotion, yes. 
that's awesome. Praise the Lord God, you are so good to me. I just don't understand. He'll say, this promotion comes with a lot more responsibility. You say, oh, I love responsibility, boss. Man, I love it. And he says, but it doesn't come with any increase in pay. And you say, what? What's the point of the promotion? You're just giving me more work to do. And you're going to face those things tomorrow. And you're going to be dealing with what this spreadsheet and this presentation and, and this school paper for you teenagers. You're going to be dealing with it all. And there will come a time when you're not thinking about God. But did you know this? There will not come a time at any point tomorrow when God is not thinking about you. Oh, we may get busy, and it would seem to me like God would get busy. But when you're not at all concerned about God, God is always concerned about you. We have an amazing Father. We have an amazing creator. The fact that when his perfect plan was for man to never sin, his perfect plan was for Adam to just live forever in a constant fellowship with God. And, oh, brother Adam messed that up. But don't, don't throw him under the bus just yet because I kind of think that I would have messed up too, don't you? I kind of think that I'd probably eaten the apple even if Amy hadn't have. I'd have been dumb enough to do it too, Adam, so don't worry about it. And God's perfect plan was for us to never fail and never to mess up. We only had one rule. And guess what? We messed up. But at the end of the day, God could have taken us and thrown us away. Oh, sure he could have. Hey, I studied Noah this week. He didn't have to save Noah. He could have just ended the world with a worldwide flood there. Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. You see, God has always been so marvelously good to us, it's kind of like we're not near as good to Him. Because truth be told, there will come a time today when we're not only not thinking about God, but we just completely neglect everything we know about God. And old Satan's going to rise up, or better said, our flesh is going to rise up. And it's going to bite us, and we're going to sit there, and we're going to be saying, Oh, Lord, I want to be a powerful Christian for you today. Oh, Lord, I want to conquer mountains. Lord, I want to, I want to be a victorious conqueror for you. And, oh, our flesh will get in our way, and we'll trip right over it, won't we? We're going to make a mistake, and we're going to be like old Peter, sticking our foot in our mouth. But my friend, God didn't throw you away the first time. God didn't throw you away. He didn't throw Adam away. He didn't throw Noah away. He didn't throw any of the Old Testament saints away. I tell you what, he didn't throw Peter away. When Peter straight up looked at him and said, Lord, I'll never deny you. Lord, I will, I will be the only one, but I'll stand up and die for you. And Jesus looked over at him and said, Peter, that rooster is going to crow three times. Three times. And you're going to deny me. But he didn't throw him away. God loves you so much that, oh, there will come a time when I mess up tomorrow. I'm literally getting on a van tomorrow with seven teenagers and a screaming baby and my wife. I'm driving nine hours tomorrow, nine hours the next day, three hours the next day. We're at a conference for about three days. We come back, we drive eight hours on Friday, we drive uh, 12 hours on Saturday. You don't think that any time this week I'm going to say something, do something, look at something, just probably kill somebody, to be honest with you. That's why you signed a waiver, though, parents. You don't think that I'm going to 
do something this week that probably doesn't bring glory to my Lord and Savior? Oh, sure I will. I'm going with Garrett. Are you kidding me? God's not going to throw me away. God's literally doing everything he can to help me. And you know what's going to happen is that, that little failure of mine, and let's not call it what old brother Olstein calls it, missing the mark. Well, it's more than that. It's offending God's law. It's a little bit more than that. And when I do that, you know what God's going to do? He's going to be right there to pick me back up. You know, I've never fallen so far I was ever out of God's reach. I've messed up tons. just seems like as far as I go this way, all I have to do is an about face, and he's right there behind me. Friend, we have infinite favor. The Bible talks about taking our sins and casting them as far as the east is from the west, and I don't really understand the theology to that. I really don't even understand the geography to that. All I know is it sounds really good that God can't remember my sins anymore. We have infinite favor. Tomorrow when you face that dilemma that seems like a mountain to climb, guess what? God looks at you and says, I just happen to know who made the mountains. Tomorrow you're going to face stuff that just seems like it's impossible for you to gap, to get across the gap. And God says, well, I happen to know the one who can, who can make people walk on water. I happen to know the one who can move mountains with just a little bit of faith. I happen to know the one who can help you through whatever you go through. We have infinite favor. A famous American painter was asked, once informed that a large shipment of blank canvases had gotten lost, this painter was asked, were they of any special value? He looked right across the table at the person asking him the question. He says, no. Not yet. Not yet. What he was saying is when I start to touch them, when I start to improve them, and when my brush dips in that paint and makes a stroke across them, they become valuable. You know what you were? A buck and a half worth of dirt. But something special happened when God breathed life into your nostrils. Something amazing happened. I'll just tell you, something even more amazing occurred when he gave you a second birth. God values you. And while there is nothing inherently valuable about me, God thinks there is. And I just really don't understand how holiness could look at unholiness and value me at all. I don't understand how purity can look at filth and value me at all. But he does. You know the reason why you ought to get up tomorrow and try every bit as hard to walk the Christian life as you can? Because God thinks you're worth it. Because God thinks you're able with His power and with His help. Oh, it's not going to be easy, but my friend, God is everywhere. God is helping you, and He's right there cheering you on, saying, Come on, you can do it. Come on. I'm the creator God. I'm the sustainer God. I'm your savior. I'm your master. I am your shepherd. I'm right here to help you through. That's the value of you. The value of you is not based upon what you think of yourself. It's not based upon what the world thinks of you. You know what you find value in? What God thinks of you. 